On Friday, as I was thinking about the service today, it was a gorgeous 61 degrees and sunny, and then it continued yesterday and today, and it's just so beautiful, and it's so gorgeous and lifts our spirits, and you walk around and the flowers are just bursting out of the ground like they totally know what they're doing. It's an explosion of creativity that happens every year. What a great thing. Ordinarily, we would be just coming off of a long and harsh winter. There would have been a lot of snow. There would have been many days below freezing. There would have been at least one snap below zero when you hardly wanted to step out the door for any reason whatsoever. That would be our traditional Midwestern winter. And yet somehow it didn't really happen this year. It just didn't happen. There was some cold and there was some snow, but I remember 70 degrees in February. And I sat outside and read a book. I liked it, I must say. And yet, this is a troubling pattern. One week or even one winter doesn't prove the case for long-term climate change, but it certainly makes us think about it. We can't avoid that. And then when year after year the winters are milder than what many of us grew up with, and when we set records for warmer temperatures year after year, we might be justified in thinking that something is up, something is happening. And lo and behold, the data have been analyzed, and it turns out that Earth's climate overall is getting warmer, and just about everybody knows that. We know that. And it's also clear that human behavior is a significant contributor to this pattern, which almost everyone agrees with. And so this is not headline news. It's not anything breaking today. It's something that's well established and that the vast majority of scientists say is true. And yet it is amazing that we do have in our communities, those who argue against this consensus of understanding that we have a concern that, that we need to work on. And what is really additionally unusual right now is that some of those mistaken people are in central positions of power in our culture. And for me, at least, and I know for many others, that's a cause of concern. I can't uh, avoid being concerned about that. As a matter of fact, uh, the head of the Environmental Protection Agency is, in fact, a climate change denier. So that is something really worth contemplating. We, we need to think about that. And need to think about what's going on in this beautiful world that bursts forth in all this tremendous creativity at this time of year. What we call the environment is not 
merely a stage setting for human drama. It's not background scenery for us. It is not for us at all. It's something much larger than we are, and we are one of its myriad expressions. We are an expression of whatever that power is, one of billions and billions of different expressions. So we are, in fact, part of what we refer to as our environment, which is a strange way to phrase it and shows sort of how our perspective works. Unfortunately, actually, our religious traditions have exacerbated this problem to some extent. In our Judeo-Christian religions, we have this idea of dominion. And it goes back to the story in the garden and the way that that's been posed to us, as in humans have been given dominion over the earth. Now, there is a very benign way to look at that idea of dominion, and that benign way is the idea of stewardship, that we're there uh, to take care of the earth. We're gardeners, is what we are. We're the gardening staff, and we're there to care for all this other life and make sure that 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 goes well in some sense. So that's where this idea of stewardship comes from, which is a, a beautiful concept and, and works, actually. But the dominion idea has also been used in a much harsher way to say that the earth exists simply for our use and entertainment. So that's sort of the shadow side of that dominion idea. Other creatures have no intrinsic worth, they only have instrumental worth, that is their worth to us as we wish to use them. That would be their worth. So we can do with earth just exactly what we please. And in our highly technological world, this view actually does not work. It doesn't work anymore. Maybe it did at some point, but it, it doesn't now because our ability to just tear up the earth is so highly developed that if we look at it as merely something to be treated at our whim, it's problematic. We can treat the earth in thoughtless and exploitive ways, but there will be consequences. There will be pollution, there will be extinctions, there will be shortages, there will be climate change bringing with it all kinds of far-reaching effects. We are living in the age of consequences. We are living in the age of consequences. And we're going to need all the intelligence and wisdom we can muster to find a sustainable way of living on this planet. We are going to have to do that. So I want to look at a couple ways we might think about this relationship. Many people believe that one of the elements of our survival in the age of consequences will be to return to the perception of Earth as sacred 
and we've heard a couple images of that in readings this morning, to return to the idea that the earth is sacred. Now, in our Judeo-Christian tradition, that idea is not emphasized because the divine, which is God, is separate from the creation. God is someone who creates the earth and tells us to take care of it, and we need to do that, but the earth is not holy itself. It's a creation of a holy entity. In theology, we say that this God is transcendent. It's, God is not involved. But, and, and by the way, that can work if people really devote themselves to that idea of stewardship. That, that can work. The nature traditions, on the other hand, the indigenous traditions in all parts of the world, don't agree with that image. They have a different image, which is that the earth is itself sacred. And the image that is most commonly used is that earth is our mother. There are others, but that's, that's the one that is very, very strong. Earth is our mother. We are her children. She nourishes us and cares for us. And so it is fitting for us to honor her, to worship her, to adore her as sacred. We are utterly dependent upon her. And in fact, we are part of her. Starhawk, a great teacher of these kinds of traditions, says, Earth Mother, Star Mother, you who are called by a thousand names, may all remember we are cells in your body. So that's the image. We're in the body of the Sacred Mother. And so then when we walk in the woods or we ride the rapids or camp under the stars where many of us have had these experiences of being inside something greater and experiencing ourselves as being part of this greater reality, then we are feeling the presence of the mother. You don't have to use that word. That, it's, a, it's a way of describing an experience. We're experiencing ourselves as something greater in which we have our being. And that actually we don't have our being in any way separate from that. That's not a possibility, actually. <laughs> and we could call it mother or nature or the interdependent web. And we can have an experience of that presence so the earth traditions teach us to honor that mother, that web, that presence. And it's not an accident that the imagery is usually fe uh, feminine in this way of looking at it. And the feminine imagery is not just an accident. It's not just a quaint kind of bit of history. It matters what kind of imagery we use for the sacred, even if we only use it metaphorically. So it's not an accident that the climber-denier culture is connected to patriarchy. So go out and count those people and look at them, and there's a connection there with patriarchy. Most of the climate deniers in the positions of power right now are predominantly white and male, 
And it's, there's really nothing wrong with being white and male, by the way. I just want to say, some of my best friends are white males. It's really true, and there are some, there are some good people out there. <laughs> but the problem is patriarchy is not being white. Male patriarchy is a culture of dominion or domination. That, that's the problem. So these uh, images are not random. When we allow our ideas to drift into this domination sense of dominion, then we get unfortunate and dangerous kinds of oppression. For example, male over female, white over brown and black, humans, mostly males, over nature which is envisioned as a mother. You can really pursue this imagery if you want to. This is exciting. If you have an interest in this stuff, you know the serpent, the serpent in the garden is a symbol of the goddess. So you can just, you can just map this stuff out if you want to go down that road. It's fascinating. So in this age of consequences, this dominance model has really played itself out. And I dearly hope that at this moment it is making its last stand. That would be my hope. Trying to hang on to this sense that we are privileged, trying to avoid the necessary evolutionary step to give up dominion to move from a dominion model and go for harmony, cooperation, and interdependence, to go in all seriousness for survival. Now, not all environmental activists are interested in this call to make the earth sacred. Lots of people are not interested in that. Many folks are just not inclined in that direction. They may feel that it's a step backward in time to an earlier view of reality, and that what some people think is delightful and insightful to them just seems untrue. It's just not accurate that there's a goddess or a god, even if it's the earth. So many of these people, what they really like is math. They like science. They like charts and graphs. And they can do the charts and the graphs, and they can tell you with a pretty good sense of wisdom what's likely to come out of that. And so that's a whole other angle of looking at this situation, which many people are very seriously inclined to. And by the way, you can be on both of those sides if you want to. That is not. Uh, impossible to do. I want to suggest today that in our present world, the rational argument does not always win. The rational argument is not always the one that prevails. It doesn't. I could offer you several examples of that. Uh, the whole arena of fake news is an example of that. That 
people believe things not necessarily because they make sense rationally. And I think that's part of the reality that we live in. We need both kinds of arguments, mythos and logos, or we need logic, but we also need stories to tell, to animate us, because the logic doesn't do it. The whole climate change debate is, uh, demonstrates that logic is not enough. So if we're going to have a true consensus, it will have to be also uh, nurtured with stories and images that move us in our hearts. And not just with the charts, though we need the charts, 100%. The specter of our country, country sometimes thought of as a light to the world, leading the change to abandon climate change agreements is deeply disturbing and profoundly disappointing. It just breaks my heart that we apparently are going to be leaders in going the wrong direction. It's not just an embarrassment, although it is embarrassing to me. It's extraordinarily dangerous. In, and I mean dangerous in the math, logic, reason sense of the word. It's when you put it on the chart, it's dangerous. You may believe as your heart leads you, but I just want to say we cannot let our beloved country take this unwise path. That, we, we're just so much better than that. And we must find ways to bring ourselves back into leadership, a role which fits us so much better and really represents the best of the American spirit. We all have a role to play on that path. In this coming week, if Mother Nature gives us clear skies, a solar energy system will be installed on the roof of our church. This week, this week, if the sun stays out, and if you want today, you can go look at the west side of the building and you'll see some new power units of some sort that have already been installed. Go take a look at that. It's happening. We are taking a step in our community, which we've thought about, we've, we've pondered it, we've financed it, we voted on it, we're doing it. And by the end of this month, it will be fully functional. So I am delighted that we're doing that. It's a, it's a deeply meaningful step for us, and we're headed in the right direction. We're going to use the healing, warmth, and light-giving of the sun to bring power to our building. And soon, God is willing, it will be totally operational. We are really part of a growing consciousness all around the planet, a fusion coalition, it's, an, it's a paradigm shift of how we look at the world, it's a cultural transformation that humanity needs at this moment of history. This is a necessary path to go down. This is not a good place to make a mistake, not a good place to head off galloping in the wrong direction. 
Not a wise move. And so we are doing our part. And if you wish to do more, there are all kinds of ways that you can get involved, but one of them I will mention that may appeal to some of you is that there's a climate change march in Washington on April 29th, and it will also be in Chicago and major cities all over the United States. I don't know yet if there'll be a rally in Peoria, but if there is, I'm sure we'll let you know. And so think about that. You may wish to participate in that. You may wish to do all kinds of things in the next days and months and years. I encourage you on that path. May the Great Mother smile on our efforts. That's a way of saying it. May we commit ourselves to loving the earth and ourselves, which are so intertwined that we do not have any identity or existence apart from the earth. We don't. We are part of that reality, and we are now deciding whether that will be a healthy reality or an unhealthy reality. Let us make a good choice. May we find the path that leads us to live in peace on this small planet. Small but beautiful planet for many millennia to come. So may it be.